Okay, chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians in the studies that we're doing in 1 Corinthians. So we're doing food sacrifice to idols. Yes. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Verse 9, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, who have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Father, thank you for giving us your word. And uh, we pray for the kids' church, that uh, our children would be firmly established in the Lord Jesus. And uh, as they look at um, the, uh, the wisdom uh, literature this morning, uh, we pray that they would grow to be wise uh, young men and women uh, with their lives founded on Christ. We pray for ourselves that uh, you would help us to understand this passage of Scripture and to think through its practical application uh, in terms of how we live our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, we Aussies uh, love to know what our rights are and we love to stand on our rights. And I reckon that's a good thing about our culture because uh, it means we're not easily pushed around by people who would otherwise exploit us. But it's not always a good thing because sometimes selfishness gets in the, in the way there because uh, although I might have the legal right to behave in a certain way, um, what if by doing so I create a problem for somebody else? Um, should we always make use of the rights which we have? 
Now, that is a topic worth thinking about, not just because as citizens that we have certain rights and freedoms and privileges, but also as Christians, uh, we have certain spiritual rights that uh, have been uh, given to us by God because of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. We have certain spiritual freedoms, some spiritual liberties uh, that are ours to enjoy. Uh, this is a topic which we're going to be dealing with over the next three weeks um, as we uh, look at 1 Corinthians 8, 9 and 10. Uh, it's a topic which the Corinthians, the Christians in Corinth, put on the agenda for discussion because they wrote a letter to Paul and in that letter to Paul, they've raised this issue. Um, we see that if you have a look at chapter 8, verse 1, uh, Paul says, Now, about food offered to idols. Uh, he's not raising an issue with them. He's responding a, with, to a letter that they have written to him. Now, here's the issue. Uh, do Christians have the spiritual right to eat food which somebody has offered up as a sacrifice to a pagan idol. Now, my guess is that most of us don't have to deal with this issue every day. Would I be right in saying that? This is not really, for most of us, this is not part of our, our experience. It's not a problem for us. But the, uh, there is an underlying issue. There is an underlying issue of how we use our rights and our freedoms as Christians um, and how the use of our rights and our freedoms may affect other Christians. So that is something for us to think about. Now, what was, the, what was happening in Corinth? Well, as you'll recall, Corinth uh, was a very bustling, um, cosmopolitan uh, city, seaport city, and uh, the, the people who lived there, it was, a, it was a melting pot of different peoples, different cultures uh, and different religions. Which meant that the, the Christians in Corinth were living in a context where they were surrounded by, um, by pagan worship uh, and pagan gods and their temples. Now, let's think about what that meant for them. Pagan temple worship caused problems for Christians in three ways. Number one, at the very heart of pagan temple worship was eating food. And people would offer up food as sacrifices uh, to, at the altar uh, to, the, to the idols. Uh, some of that food would be burnt <coughs> for the, 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 the gods themselves and the rest would be eaten. Uh, they would have feasts at the temple. In fact, the temple feasts in the ancient world were kind of like the epicentre of, of social life. Uh, if you were going to meet up with your friends, if you were going to eat together, you would often be doing that at a, <coughs> at a temple um, sacrifice feast. Uh, the, the temples were sort of like the function centres of the ancient world. Now, many of the Christians... Uh, many of the Christian converts would have grown up uh, attending these temple feasts. It was, it was what, what they did. It was part of their life, part of their culture, part of who they were. But what about now? 
As Christians, should they continue to attend the feasts at the temple? Did they have the right to do so? That's the first problem. The second problem <clears throat> for Christians was that not all of the food that was offered up to the idols at the temple was consumed at the temple. Uh, some of the food would actually be sold to butchers. The meat would be sold to butchers. Which meant that if you went down to the local butcher to buy your food, your meat, you might actually be buying meat that had been offered up to an idol. What do you do about that? Start to see the problem here? <coughs> Thirdly, <coughs> what if a Christian uh, is invited to dinner at the home of a non-Christian and you're about to tuck into your, into your, into your meal and your host says, oh, by the way, um, we've, that meat was offered up to an idol, to a Greek or a Roman or an Egyptian god. What are you going to do then? Do you keep eating? What do you do? These were the, some of the issues that the Christians <coughs> faced. And the, the baseline issue is, do Christians have the right to eat food that's offered to an idol? Or would that bring dishonour to God and be unhelpful and wrong in their Christian lives? Uh, in chapters 8, 9 and 10, these are the three issues that the Corinthian Christians have raised with Paul. And some of the um, members of the church, they claimed, they claimed that they had some pretty, pretty switched on, pretty good knowledge about this issue. And uh, their answer was, yes, you can eat food that's been offered to an idol. Um, not everyone in the church agreed with that. Uh, some <coughs> Christians thought that, no, um, you shouldn't be offering up, eating up food that's been offered to an idol under any circumstance. And so, who's right? Well, <clears throat> in verses 4 through to 6, uh, Paul does agree that those who said yes, that you can eat that food, he does agree that they had knowledge which was true in some ways. Let me read verse 4. Uh, so then, about eating food sacrificed to idols... We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Um, in Corinth, there were temples to many different gods and lords. I think there's a reason why Paul distinguishes between gods and lords. And I think that reason is that apparently um, the traditional Roman and Greek deities, they referred to their deities as, as gods. Um, whereas some of the newer religions, <coughs> they called their deities lords. But are they real? No, they're not. And what is an idol? An idol is just a block of wood or a block of stone. And the gods which the idols represent, 
Well, actually, folks, newsflash, they don't even exist. They're not real. They are, in, they are ideas invented by men. Uh, many people today believe that in the universe that there are many different gods. What do we call that view, that there are many gods? That's, anyone know? That's called, Lachlan? That's called polytheism, many gods. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I was uh, near a Hindu temple, um, just uh, close to Sydney. And the, the sign out the front of the temple listed 10 different gods or goddesses uh, and it advertised the various ways that uh, they, they could bless you, that they could help you and how much money it would cost uh, for them to do so. Um, I, and I don't say that to mock them. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a reality. There were different gods... Um, different blessings, <coughs> you could be blessed in your marriage, you could be blessed if you wanted to date someone, uh, you could be blessed in your business, you could be blessed in your health, uh, you could be blessed in the, bat in the legal battle that you're presently engaged in, uh, you could be blessed in the sense of the removal of curses that have been placed on you, and all for the standard price of $201 each. That's polytheism. And that's in our backyard. But the great revelation of the Bible is not polytheism, but monotheism. The Bible teaches that this universe is not controlled by a plethora of competing gods and goddesses, but rather that this universe is controlled by only one God, there is one God, and it names who he is. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in verse 6 is the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now, Paul here is not teaching that there are two gods, Rather, there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul is asserting that the other gods, the other lords, that they are false. That there is only one God. And he has revealed to us who he is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All other religions are false. An idol is nothing. It represents a God who does not exist. And so you might imagine some of the Christians in Corinth saying, well, there you go. You know, who cares whether the food's been offered to an idol or not? Um, you know, the idol just represents a fictional God and all food is a gift from God. So go ahead, eat the food that's been offered up to an idol. Uh, you have the right to do so. And they might have thought of themselves as being the stronger Christians, the ones who had that knowledge, whereas others in the church just didn't seem to get it. They didn't seem to have that, that knowledge. Why? Verse 7. Paul says, 
But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Now, I don't think that Paul's saying there that these Christians still believed that other gods actually existed, but he wants the reader to put themselves into their shoes, as I invite you to put yourself into their shoes. Before they knew Jesus, the, the worship of pagan gods was just a huge part of their life, their identity, uh, of, the, of their culture, of who they are. Now, as Christians, they know that there is only one God in their heads, but in their hearts, their, their former worship of false gods is still woven into their emotions and into their feelings. Paul says that they are still so accustomed to idols that they simply just can't put that food in their mouths and think of that as being neutral. They associate it with idolatry. And that's why they don't want to do it. Paul has a warning to the um, so-called stronger Christians in verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, uh, he says, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So the f food is indifferent in itself. Uh, but be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Uh, this is a warning to the so-called strong Christians. They, they claim the, the freedom uh, the right to eat food which has been offered to idols. And, and the problem here is that they are right and they're also wrong. Uh, sure, the false gods do not exist. Food is a gift from God. There's nothing wrong with the food, even if it has been offered to an idol. They are right about that, but they're also wrong. Two reasons. Firstly, why are they eating this food? <laughs> What has given rise to this? Is it just meat that they've purchased from the butcher, the leftovers from the temple? Well, if you have a look at verse 10, what are they doing? It seems in verse 10 that these stronger Christians are actually eating the food that's been offered up to an idol inside the idol's temple. You see that? I mean, the idol is nothing, the God does not exist, so why shouldn't they? Well, the why shouldn't they is what Paul gets into in chapter 10, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks' time. But in brief, uh, it is true that all other gods do not exist. However, Satan and his demons, they exist. And the pagan temple is the domain of Satan. Uh, let's actually have a brief look at that. If you flip over to chapter 10, verses 19 to 21, it's over the page... Verse 19, um, do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Friends, Satan uses false religion and idolatry 
um, to fill people's lives with with a false spirituality, which are, with, with a that to to deprive them of the true knowledge of God, which is found in Jesus, and to take them away from that knowledge of God, so that they do not worship the one and only God. False religions can give names to their gods and they can describe their characters and their powers. But it is nonsense because the gods don't exist. And yet Satan works through that false god to deceive people. And so the Christians are not to participate. Um, by the way, this, this actually is a live issue for Christians today um, whose families worship false gods. Um, so if you're you know, younger person, perhaps that uh, you've um, grown up in a, um, a family that's uh, Buddhist or Hindu or even uh, uh, Muslim, they don't uh, have idols in Islam, but they worship a false god. And uh, you may feel pressured uh, into going to the temple or to the mosque um, and participating. Uh, or pressured into eating food which has been offered up to an idol uh, on the family shrine. It's a real issue. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> In the hall, on the wall, uh, just above where morning tea is sold, uh, is, is served, <laughs> is served on, uh, for the earlier service, there's a, there's a wall hanging. And it says, give us this day our daily bread. You ever notice that? You're going to check it out today, aren't you? Uh, it was, Cassie made that and uh, she was, at one stage it was hanging on her, in her family home. It was hanging on the wall that overlooked the dining table. On the other side of the wall was the family shrine uh, where food would be offered up to idols. So, back to back, that sort of illustrates the, the issue uh, for some Christians, in, even in their households, uh, even today. You're going to go check that out now, aren't you? I'm sure. There is a second reason why the so-called strong Christians are wrong. Uh, they might argue that by eating at the Lord's, at the idol's temple, at the idol temple's feast, that they can distance themselves, that they're, they're not actually participating in the worship. They're just eating the food. They're not going up to the, you know, and burning the stuff at the, uh, at, 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 the, uh, at, the, at the altar. They're not participating in that. They're just eating the food. And, and you know, think about it, because that was a very much a social um, place for people in the ancient world. So they rationalise uh, and and say that they can eat it at the temple because they're not participating in the actual worship. But what about the so-called weaker Christian? Uh, what if they see you at the temple? Uh, they see you feasting at the temple and they think mm, they're tempted to actually join in. They're tempted to do it as well. What effect are you having on them? Verse 10, 
For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, who have this knowledge, eating in a, an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. That when you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Um, the, 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 the so-called stronger Christian has created a stumbling block for the so-called weaker Christian uh, in two ways. Um, firstly, say the weaker Christian um, believes that it is always sinful to eat food that's been offered up to an idol... Uh, even though that, that they are wrong in that, if they were to, to do so, they would be doing something which they believe God does not want them to do. See the issue? And, it, and that's actually sin. Uh, because sin is an attitude of heart. that I want to rebel against what, what God wants. Think about that in a prayer. I had a situation once where someone uh, wanted to do something that they thought would upset me. And they went and did that thing, thinking that I wouldn't like that. And then they came and spoke to me afterwards and they said, did you see what I did? And actually, I couldn't care less. <laughs> and I said, yeah, no. I'm <clears throat> and, and the person said, I did that to spite you. I said, well, you should have picked a different thing. <laughs> because <laughs> I actually like what you did. But, you know, that's the attitude of heart, and that's the attitude of heart that this weaker Christian would have if they, if they honestly believed that it was wrong to eat food offered to an idol, uh, and they were tempted to do so. They would actually be sinning. And that, in the Bible, is called sinning against your conscience. But secondly, um, for these so-called weaker Christians, idol worship has been woven into their lives and so going back to the temple may stir the feelings of their heart and may tempt them back um, slowly but surely into worshipping false gods now that's what was going that was what was going on in Corinth um, but what about us what principles here uh, can we derive to help us to live in a more godly way. Well, I want to ask the question, what was the, the root problem of the so-called stronger Christians? They loved their rights. They loved their freedoms. Uh, they loved to stand on those things. And they thought that they knew what their rights were. There's an old saying that says a little bit of knowledge can be very dangerous because it's not complete knowledge. Uh, the strong Christians knew that false gods do not exist, um, but they did not know that Satan works through idols. A little bit of knowledge, very dangerous. What else? Well, they failed to understand the proper purpose of Christian knowledge. And here's where we're going to go back to where Paul started in verse 1. Uh, where he says, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge 
knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. Uh, see what Paul says, that knowledge puffs up, but love, what does he say? Builds up. Now, it, it is absolutely vital that you and I gain and retain uh, a good knowledge of God uh, by learning the Bible here in church and at, and at home. But why? What is the purpose of having knowledge about God? It is not for intellectual satisfaction. It's not to stuff our brains so that we can be correct and then we can stand on our biblical rights. That is to be puffed up. No, the purpose of Christian knowledge is to love God and to love our neighbour. And here, the neighbour is the so-called weaker Christian. Um, eating food offered to idols may not be an issue for most of us, although it is for some. Um, but let's think about the principle. Here's one. Have you ever been in a situation uh, where you've been talking to another Christian or a group of Christians and you've, you've said something which turned out not to be 100% theologically correct. And the stronger Christian has chosen to correct you on that, um, quite bluntly, quite abruptly. How do you feel? You feel built up? Have you ever done that to someone? As I, th I suspect I have, <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> so, <coughs> it's not about... Being puffed up, it's about building up the other person. Paul's principle is that the truly strong Christian will use their knowledge of God to build up the other Christian, not to tear them down, and certainly not to cause them to sin. Verse 13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, then guess what? I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. I take it Paul's saying food, meat offered to an idol, but he's actually broader than that. He says, I'd, I'd actually give up my life for the other person. Now, occasionally, um, <clears throat> as a church leader, I get invited to a meal which is hosted uh, by the local Muslim community in Port Macquarie. You probably didn't know there was a local Muslim community. There is. My understanding is that this particular meal is part of their worship as the end point of, of Ramadan. And so I don't go. Uh, politely, I decline. Other Christians believe that they have the right to go, that it's not a problem, and they go and they uh, enjoy this meal um, in, uh, uh, which is part of Muslim worship. 
you know, if I did attend, I'm 100% sure I would really, really enjoy the food. <laughs> and I would love meeting new people and building connections with them and, and so on. But what message would I be sending to any Christian who knew me, um, who had been converted from Islam, who had come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour and had embraced Jesus and no longer participated in false worship um, and did so at great cost. What would be the message that I would be sending to them? Didn't need to do it. Islam's okay. Look at me. I'm there. I'm enjoying the meal. You can as well. Would I cause them to stumble? That's my question. And so I just say no. I'll get to know the Muslims in town through other ways. Uh, mind you, go into Coles and pick up the can of whatever and find the halal certification. Yeah, I'll, I'll eat that. No problems. Because um, it's just food. But to participate in a feast, which is part of false worship, um, no thanks. We Aussies, we love standing on our rights, don't we? Uh, in fact, um, forfeiting rights may actually be un-Australian. But it's exactly what Jesus did for us. Uh, when he forfeited his heavenly home and he died on a cross... So if, the, if Jesus has done that for us, then we can forfeit our own preferences, our own enjoyments, our own pride um, for the sake of serving others and building them up in Christ's likeness. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you again for another poignant um, passage from your word, something 2,000 years old, but seems clearly has relevance for us today. Uh, Father, we pray that we would be people who um, don't care about what our preferences are and what our rights are, but care for the other. Uh, help us to be people who have a knowledge of you, but we use that knowledge to be puffed up, but not to be puffed up, but to build up other people. Um, we pray that we'd just be prepared to sacrifice um, things which we might enjoy for the sake of others. In Jesus' name, Amen.